On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Audio Judo. Welcome back again to our uh, many, several listeners. <laughs> uh, excited that you join us today. Hopefully uh, this is a uh, interesting, thought-provoking episode. Or hopefully you'll hate it enough to write in to us about it. And again, like I said a couple weeks ago, tell us how much we suck. Yes, you, you're welcome to do that, please. A couple of people have done that, but not on the official audio judo. Uh, Just like they've passed you notes. Yeah. It's a separate, private, just a private text. Like you blow my thanks. You appreciate preach. That's nice of people. We we do appreciate it when you tell us that we blow. Right. But we are back for uh, another round. Today is about, Oh, go ahead, Kyle. You, oh, you take it. Yeah, I, uh, I get it. to pick this one. Yeah, you did. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, the album Lamplit Prose by the band Dirty Projectors. And I think I mentioned this last time we said this, but I do have to bring this up. Uh, both Matthew and I professionally work with video projectors. I was not searching for a new method to clean those projectors when I found this band. I promise I was not. <laughs> <laughs> this was before... This is before I uh, started doing this professionally, a few years ago now. And uh, next week's episode, we will be focusing on the band Fairly Decent Softball Players. Uh, <laughs> ironically enough, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't searching for it. Oh, okay. But uh, I came across it, and that's what we'll be doing. Oh, okay. That's that's nice. Anyway, that's... go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't really know where to begin with these guys. So Dirty Projectors, mm-hmm. uh, mostly uh, a guy named David Longstreth. Mm-hmm. Um, he has kind of a, an interesting past. He actually went to Yale to study music in early to the late 90s, early 2000s sometime. Into his uh, first semester, he... <laughs> Sorry, that's really distracting. <laughs> that motorcycle's going like 150 so into his first semester, he uh, he was just he was found himself spending all this time in his dorm room just making music, and he really didn't have anybody to play it for. He just, I mean, he was making music basically for himself. He was skipping classes and things, and he eventually dropped out of Yale, uh, moved to Portland with his brother, and started to make music and released his first album, his first real project in two thousand two, and that kind of started him down uh, a much more. Much different path than I think he would have taken otherwise. But shortly after that, in 2003, he went back to Yale and uh, decided to finish up his degree. But while he was there, he uh, started making music with some other people, and uh, they started to go under the name Dirty Projectors. He doesn't remember where it came from. Hmm. Uh, he was asked in an interview, and I think in a, a Reddit AMA, what, you know, where did the name come from? What inspired you to name the band that? He, he honestly doesn't remember. Um. I don't really know how to describe 
their sound. It's it's changed and evolved a lot. They have eight uh, studio albums, including Lamplit Pros, which is their newest one. They came out in uh, 2018. It's obviously changed a lot. The band has changed a lot. Almost every album has a different lineup, and every album has so many. <laughs> the fun of recording in a garage. Somebody's somebody's pissed off Pomeranian is barking at us somewhere. So, anyways, he uh, you know the the lineup has changed a lot over the years. There's usually quite a few people on each album. I could close the door if you'd like. <laughs> no. It adds ambiance. Okay. So uh, a couple of the biggest members uh, from early on, Amber Kaufman was one of the lead singers from 2006 or seven until 2013. She and David also were dating during that time. They broke up after they broke up. Uh, one of their albums, one of Dirty Projector's albums is called uh, Swing Low Magellan. And that was kind of their... Uh, breakup album. You can tell which ones were kind of written as they were fighting and which ones were written before they started fighting. It's pretty sad. Yeah. And they broke up, not because of that album. At the same time, uh, Angel Deridian, who was another one of the lead singers of the band, uh, also left in 2013. So all of a sudden, uh, David Longstreth found himself still having all the same musical motivations that he had before, but he was now... You know, he had just gone through this horrible breakup and he didn't really know what he was going to do with the band. He didn't know if he could continue making music that same way. And he, at the time, was living in uh, Brooklyn and he packed it all up and moved to Los Angeles. You know, completely other side of the country, completely different culture, completely different place, mostly just like to, to pick up the pieces, put everything back together. And he started to put together a studio called, uh, he named it Evo Shandor, which. I think, Matthew, you may be the only person, I, I can think of two people that I know that would know where that name came from. It rings a bell, but I can't think of it right this second. Check oh, out yeah. The, check okay, out the so it, does, it is Ghostbusters. It is from Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, Evo Shandor is the name. This is such an obscure reference, but it's the name of the architect who built the, who built the building that Dana, Dana lives in. Yeah. And then I guess he was also, they brought his, that Spook character Central. back. Yeah, Spook Central. They brought that character back in the 2009 video game as well ah. as the main antagonist. Really, really deep cut there, but very like <laughs> it was. It was so weird. I was looking through, and all of a sudden, I was like Evo Shandor, and I was like, "Is that from Ghostbusters?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh yeah, nobody's going to remember that." But uh, he put together that studio, and he was still kind of uh, just in this really sad, dark place. And he he made an album called uh, it's a self titled album called Dirty Projectors. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, it's a great album, but it is very sad and it's, it's very dark. Completely the opposite of this record. Yes. Lamplet Rose. And, and the first song on there is literally just him. Like, here's the reasons we broke up. I think you're a jerk. Yep. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> to, just, to sum it up. Just throws it out there. Yeah. After that, it's it's kind of amazing that he went from that to making Lamplet Rose because it's such a bright album and it really is kind of the... The next step in that recovery from breaking up, he went from being this sad, depressed, you know, he even said that uh, Dirty Projectors, he couldn't tour with that album. He's like, it was too sad to play. Mm -hmm. It was too sad to, you know, go out on stage and play any of those songs. So he was motivated to make Lamplit Pros a a happier album. It's, It's all about that recovery. It's all about that getting back into your old habits 
It's all about, you know, finding yourself again after you've gone through something tragic. And it really shows, I think. It's a very bright album, I guess is a good way to put it. There's not, even though if you look at the lyrics, they're about the end of the world. They're about how everything's shitty and, you know, we yeah. might all die tomorrow because of a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> but it's it's done in a very bright and exciting way. It's true. Yeah. Um, and Kyle is especially excited about this episode, I believe, because uh, he and I had a few uh, pre-production meetings. Mm-hmm. And I was not familiar with this band before he mentioned it. So I did some research and the vibes I was giving him were not positive. True. Um, about how I felt about this particular record. So he's hoping there's some conflict. Not, you know, we're going right, to we're we're come to blows. Throw down. But uh, I'm going to get a beer can to the head and then, or I'm going to give you a beer can to the head and then you're going to hit me with a bat. You might. It's going to be great. So I have a bit of a narrative here. Ooh. So uh, hopefully you bear with me a second. Nope. So in all honesty, um, I believe at the outset that I listened to this record for the first time very poorly. So allow me to explain by nature. And I'm sure some of the listeners out there can relate to this and uh, might do it similarly. But I prefer to listen to music when I drive. Mm. I don't listen to talk shows or morning shows, audiobooks, or even really podcasts or anything like that. I don't even really listen to the radio specifically. And I like to listen to whole records like complete packages. However, because that's generally when I'm driving home from work or to work, I like music that I listen to, to be familiar to me. Makes sense. Um, and it's greatly influenced by what particular mood I am at the time. So if I'm really pissed off at work, I like to listen to something a little harder edged, or if it's Christmas time, I might listen to Christmas music, or if I'm just a little down, more contemplative stuff like Nick Drake. See okay. the last episode. <laughs> so, nice, and nice callback. Right. So I usually listen to new music uh, when I'm doing something else, working in my office, uh, working in the garage or outside. So I'm paying attention, but it's not undivided attention. Yeah. So I was leaving work the first time that I listened to this record, and I believe that it colored the experience pretty heavily. I typically have a three phase approach when I listen to new music. So I'm either a going to love it right away and probably listen to it for the foreseeable future. Okay. Or B, I hate it and never listen to it again. Or C, I recognize that there's something about it that I like, and I give it four or five listens front to back to see if it grows on me. If it does, great. I'll listen to it for a while. If not, I'll shelve it and probably come back to it every few years, try again. Okay. This record was firmly in the B category. <laughs> My first initial gut reaction during the first song was stylistically, he is all over the freaking map. Yeah. And I think it suffered a little bit from that. So I have my first notes when I first listened to it. So separate. These are my first notes. Ooh. Disassociated, disjointed, inaccessible. Ooh. However, underneath all the production shit are these really great melodies. And I said, Bluebird's melody is so Beatles and it's gorgeous underneath, but there's so much on top of it that I would love to hear like a stripped down version of these songs. I feel like he wrote them, he wrote them straight and then he got into the lab, Mm -hmm. quote unquote lab. And all of a sudden it's just this experimental hodgepodge, right? So after the first two songs of the record, I love it. I said, and I had written down like, a lot of the big band stylings and stuff like that. So he's definitely, this guy is definitely on like some weirdo musical journey. Yes. 
and it's going to take a magical ticket to join him <laughs> because it's so weird. And I'm very conflicted when I listen to it. I'm very conflicted because part of me loves it or at least wants to love it real bad. I want to enjoy it real bad. And as a testament to me not understanding a fucking thing about music, <laughs> Rolling Stone loves the record. <laughs> Which means I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so my opinion is, you know, it's just, it's garbage. So I love, like, know about me. I love thinking man, thinking person. Don't want to be sexist. Thinking person's music, right? I love progressive music, progressive rock, classical music, uh, jazz, stuff like that. That's, you know. Can you dance to it? Not necessarily, and that's not what's important to me when I listen to music. A lot of people it is, but yeah. for me, I just prefer to listen to it. I prefer great instrumentation, <clears throat> instrumentation, great musicianship, great melodies. The other part of me is asking the question, is he making it more complicated just because he can? And that's kind of where I land with him. I, I read a lot of stuff about him and, yeah. and how he he'll write the melody... And he has this melody, and then he finds these beats to slam, cram on top of it yeah. and around it. I feel like if he wanted to be heard, he would leave the melodies alone yeah. because they're gorgeous enough as they are. And that's that's kind of where I land. So, and that is that is ahead. something that I, I've always kind of wondered: is is does he play with you know the the changes in time and the unusual amalgam of sounds and the, the throwing together of all of it. Does he do that just because he can Right. You know, is he just playing around? Like you said, is he really just kind of going into the, the studio and being like, what have we got here? Like a uh, breakthrough, right? Yeah. Uh, that weird kind of like, wah, wah, wah. I could not for life of me figure out what the hell that was. Right. And I was like, what, what instrument is that? Is it something digital? Is it, uh, and there was a there's a very long uh, Reddit uh, ask me anything thread that he did, and somebody asked him what it was, and it's a Wurlitzer organ played through a guitar wah pedal. All right, <laughs> and, and we've I, I feel like we've had some sort of discussion like this before. Like it's very easy now with uh, as producer Randy can attest with Pro Tools and things like that to manipulate sounds much easier. Because the the things he's doing now, like if let's say that's the seventies, mm -hmm. this would take months oh, of experimentation. Like the Beatles, like the, as a good example, because I hear a lot of Beatles in his melodies. Yeah, they were the first real studio experimenters because they had unlimited money and unlimited time. Yeah, they said we're not touring anymore. That's it. We're just a studio band. They could do whatever they want. Yeah. And, you know, I want to book Abbey Road for the next year. Okay. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because they're the Beatles. And now you have these guys, which granted have wonderful ideas, but all these tools at their disposal that m might get to the point where it starts detracting from their musicianship. Yeah. Because he is, there's no doubt that he's a very talented musician and a very talented craftsman. I just feel like he gets lost in the weeds a little bit. Like even going back and listening to their other stuff, which is even more disjointed than yeah. this, which was like listening to the Dirty Projectors rec uh, album was like 
oh my god, I don't. Yeah, I that, can't get through this. That one really is all over the place. There's multiple like genres there. There's multiple influences that are coming in that are just nuts. There's it, it is all over the place, and it's so. And I don't think there's any. I can't say this for sure, but I'm pretty sure there are no straight vocals on that album. I think he did digital manipulation to all of his vocals on that entire album on all and everybody else's vocals yeah. too on that album. It, it's there's nothing that was untouched. You talk about dirty projectors, dirty projectors, the yeah. album. Yes. The one previous to yes. uh, Lamplit pros. Yes. Lamplit pros is a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of falsetto going on. Yes. And I and think he has that it's, a, it's a wonderful voice. And yeah. That's, it gets clouded. Let's t- talk about a few of the songs. Like, yeah. uh, that's a lifestyle. I think it's a really nice song. To me, when I listen to it, it has like this Jason Mraz-y yeah. uh, vibe. If Jason Mraz ever decided to make an overtly political song. Yes. Because that song, like I saw, I read an article that uh, Longstreth had, had this to say about it. He said, I think all music has a political dimension inherently. Oftentimes, though, it just doesn't occur to a songwriter to write it out explicitly. Yeah. And I'm not sure how much of that I agree with, but I get I get what he's driving it. I like I, I get it. Yeah. But it's a really good song. I, but it then it starts to get weighed down by that over overproduction stuff. The technicalities. Yeah. It's interesting that we you brought that up because he did say let me see if I can find this quote. There's a um <laughs> there's a YouTube video called the Evo Shandor samples, I believe. I'll put a I'll put a link in the notes because uh, I can't remember the exact name of it right now. But it's him talking about a little bit a little bit about his musical process, and then he talks about how sampling plays a role in his musical process. And there's a I forget who it is that sponsors it, but they he basically gives out a sample pack that's a whole bunch of sounds that the dirty projectors have made or used in the past in different mm-hmm. albums. But he said in in that, he said, uh, I find myself dreaming in sound, uh, you know, in instruments. And when it's time to be mixing, I'm dreaming of like moving something up or down a decibel and a half, which is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So it really is like, it sounds to me like he's dreaming of like Pro Tools, you know what I mean? Exactly. He's sitting there and instead of a a dream that's about, you know, because he said, you know, my dreams are instrumentation, my dreams are music. But instead of that, when he's thinking and when he's in the space of, you know, mixing something, he starts to get this, you know, okay, now I got to bump that track up a little bit. He's not hearing the music. He's thinking about the physical, you know, right. I got to move this up a little bit and this has got to come down a little bit. To me, he's a producer making a record. Yes. I think he would make a great producer. I think he would too. I think, and And I think he would make a great songwriter giving songs to other people. Like, here's my melody. I, I wrote this melody. I wrote this song. Here you go, and have an artist take that and run, and not have him beat the hell out of it. Yeah, and that because I, I just feel like as an editor, you have to know when to walk away from something because we can all noodle with with a project forever. Yeah. You can always look at a project and go, "Well, I can make that one percent better." You know, if I just tweak the coloring on this scene, or if I just make this font a little bit different, and if I just do this, and I feel like the you have to know when is enough yeah. and just go, I got to walk away. What's, what's the, the saying that uh, a movie is never finished. It's, it's abandoned. It's abandoned. I think that that definitely holds for other art forms too. Oh, definitely. Is you, at some point you just have to say, 
I have to stop touching this and, and send it out into the world. But while I do like this album, uh, and I, I like a lot of the other stuff the Dirty Projectors have done, I know that a lot of in reading um, interviews and, and articles written about David Longstreth, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people have said, you know, he's really difficult to work with because he specifically what we're talking about. He doesn't stop touching things. He has to live on that edge where you're like constantly in this panic of, okay, we have to, we have all this stuff we got to do. We got to run over here and we got to mix this and we got to play this and we got to do this and we got to plug this into this and do this and this and this and this and that and this. And then we got to play this and we got to play this album and we got to do this. We did that. And he's just constantly has to be like that in order to be productive. Right. And, and if he stops, he just becomes unproductive. And he's always thinking about who else would be good on this. Yes. Because there's so many guests on this. Like, oh, my God. Just, hey, just throw this word down. Because I know in right now, the guest person, oh, yeah. all they say is now. Sid, yeah. That's From, it. Uh, uh, she was in Odd Future, yeah. which was a hip-hop collective. And she's also the vocalist for the uh, the band The Internet. Mm. Not She's not the vocalist for the entire internet. All of The Internet? No. She, uh, it's good. a band that has taken on the name. The internet. She's got to be really busy. How do you right. Google the internet? If you type Google into Google, you will break the internet. I was going to say, is it that like a rip in the space-time continuum? It is. Don't okay. do that, anybody. So let's see. I didn't count this up, but I guess I could really quick. These are all the people that were on the album. Uh, Sid obviously did vocals. Empress of did vocals and additional vocals. Teresa Eggers did additional vocals. Empress of what? Huh? Empress of what? That's the name she goes by. Empress, Empress of... of- you can't end your name with a preposition. That's just weird. <laughs> Mauro Refrosco. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mm, that sounds delicious. He toured with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. On uh, He played on I'm With You, the album, and then uh, went on the I'm With You world tour. Uh, and he's also played with David Byrne, if you know just who playing, that is. Do, if I know who David Byrne is? Yeah. I mean, the lead singer for the Talking Heads, David Byrne? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows who that is or not. Uh Tyondi Braxton a, uh-huh. is credited as doing modular processing. Mm, uh, you might one. actually find uh, his band interesting. Uh, he's from a band called Battles. Oh no, you're gonna. They are. Um, Hold on. Um, they are all per- almost all percussion. Oh, one of those. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I'm see this note later and go. Why did I write down Beatles? <laughs> Battles. Uh, band. Todd Simon on the trumpet, cornet, flugelhorn, French horn, euphonium. So those are real horns, is what you're telling me. Yeah. Because they sound they sound very heavily digital, sampled. They? Yeah. They just I have a not. feeling what happened is he recorded them and then resampled them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tracy Wanamay. Wanamay on tenor sax, baritone sax, bass clarinet, recorder, and alto sax. The recorder, I recorder. played that one, second grade. Mike Johnson on the drums, Benjamin Jacobson on uh, violin. Oh, excuse me, Benjamin Jake- Jacobson, Andrew Bullbrook, Jonathan Marshall, and Eric Byers. You got all these uh, from the names. Calder Quartet. The Empress of, you got all these interesting names, and then the drummer is Mike Johnson. Yeah, right. Come on. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, Haim, the band, I saw all three that. sisters yeah, did I saw some that. vocals. Danielle. Alana and Este. Mm-hmm. I assume it's pronounced Este. I've never actually heard it pronounced out loud. Amber Mark on vocals. Julianne Graff on trombone, bass trombone, and tuba. Yeah, lots of people. Bjork. Yeah. Bjork. They got a recording of a Hiragashi, <laughs> which is an evening cicada. 
Like uh, the bug? Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, Daniel Luna played the Guarajal. Guarage. <laughs> I, got, I got no... This is just an, an act. You should do a... You can cut all of this out, right? You do like a sound... Me trying to pronounce words. Perhaps you should write it phonetically. I should. Anyways, it's a percussion instrument from the Dominican Republic. Uh-huh. He's got a lot of stuff on there. Yeah, Francisco Javier Paredes on bongos. Nat Baldwin on bass. Uh, Robin from... Uh, Nat Baldwin has been probably with uh, Dirty Projectors for the longest. Okay. Besides David. Robin Peckinold on vocals uh, from the Fleet Foxes. You may have heard of them before. And Rots, Rotstam is what he goes by on vocals, uh, formerly of the band Vampire Weekend. Uh, I'm familiar Ka- with that band. Katie Davidson on vocals uh, from the band Dear Nora. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it's eight, nine, of- 10, 11, yeah. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. 22, Twenty-five people are credited on this album. So he's like a rap artist. Yes. So every record, every song is, you know, featuring. It's Pitbull, who's featuring. both worldwide and international. <laughs> just coming in, just coming in out of nowhere. I said, worldwide. And then he gets a million dollars for that album. I don't know why. And a platinum record on his right? wall. I was on that. I said worldwide. I said worldwide. I said shots. And then they sampled it over and over again. Shot, 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 shot. That's not on the Lamplit Pros record, as far as I can remember. What, shots? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not. Okay. So back back to the record. Back to the record. Let's go back to the record. We got a little distracted here. That's okay. Found it in you, and what is the time, right? Just generally, ugh. Okay? This guy (laughs) is such a split, because he has these awesome, well-developed R&B harmonies. These lush, gorgeous harmonies. And then he's got this frenetic, spastic song around it, just sur- <laughs> surrounding this melody. And it's so frustrating. And then I, so I listened to it one time and I'm like, damn it, this pisses me off. And then I listened to it a second time and I'm like, I absolutely love this song and I can't figure it out. Right. It's a torturing record for me to listen to because of those reasons, because like some of that stuff is just beautiful. It's well produced. It's sharp. It's thick. And then he's got like all the way around it. And I'm like, what is that? Why are you doing that? Uh, there's a track by track breakdown. Um, I forget what website it's on, but it was uh, written by Randall, written and interviewed by Randall Colburn. It's a pretty long quote uh, about I found it in you. But uh, he said that all the songs are personal. But this one uh, is totally personal. Uh, this came out of a summer when I was working with Solange on her record. And I was in this place of just like making tons of beats. I was trying to make four beats a day. And this beat is from that. I love the speed of it, but I had kind of forgotten about it. When I found it again, I kind of just freestyled out some of the melodies and threw down some organ and guitar. And that's pretty much it. There aren't too many elements to the song. Right. But to me... It feels really complete, and it goes it goes there pretty fast. Like, just tell me that, like, someone that gifted that can just write melodies. Yeah, you're missing the mark, dude. Yeah. But you, I was I was working really hard on these beats for. <laughs> for I was really pushing myself to make four beats a day. You know who Solange is, right? Yeah, yeah. That like, are you kidding me? And then. I had to make four beats a day, but here's some really pretty melodies. I'm like, yeah, 
The melodies are fantastic. And it's just, oh, it, it's frustrating. So uh, my favorite song on there is uh, You're the One. Ooh, what a great song. Because it is unencumbered by all that other stuff. He did leave it stripped down, mostly. What's funny is I, I actually wrote down that I feel like this is a song that probably would have been pre-Swing Low Magellan. So, yeah. So, so like, it, it really had that same kind of feeling, like their older work. Yeah. Yes. After listening to all the other records, which was a slog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, some, some of the older stuff is uh, more that's experimental. A, that song was so good. And it's a pretty well-developed song that doesn't need any of that other stuff. So you, well, you saw Rolling Stone. Yeah. Uh, Rolling Stone called it Prague Pop. Yes. Well, that was the name for it. Art Indie. <laughs> That's what I would like to call it. And we called Rolling Stone Hot Garbage. Hot Garbage. Well. Was what we called them. <laughs> I still believe. Their be- last episode. I still believe. No offense to Rolling Stone. Well, I still believe Rolling Stone is hot garbage. <laughs> but... I'm totally missing the mark here. I don't get it. Why do they love everything that I hate? And why do they hate everything that I love? Why does this happen? I'm not sure if they actually love this or not. There's a website that uh, they sort of gather together reviews from all these different websites, right? And uh, I can't for the life of me think of it off the top of my head, but maybe I'll put it in the show notes if I remember it later. Anyways, for this album, their average rating, I believe, was like 80% or 80 out of 100. It's pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good. But the bottom of the websites that had rated it was actually Rolling Stone. They gave it like a 68, I want to say. How do you reconcile that with the review? I don't know. So I read a bunch of reviews, not just Rolling Stone, yeah. about this. And I, I read it described as exhausting, <laughs> which is pretty accurate. Yes. Peppy. I don't quite get that. I oh, come a, on. I feel energy a, is pretty put peppy. A, put a question mark there next to peppy. Peppy question mark. And then uh, unique, which mm-hmm. uh, as far as I've known for the past 30 years was always a code word that I use with my friends for garbage. <laughs> well, that certainly is unique or <laughs> that move. And that's so as soon as I read that, I'm like, oh, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> and then. I read in multiple places that someone keeps referring to this is energy as reimagined Michael Jackson. Yeah. I don't know where that quote came from. That's exactly my look, producer Randy. That's the same look I made when I read it. A furrowed eyebrow, if you will. Yeah, I don't agree with that at all. And that quote has showed up in several places with no... I know. No credit to whoever said it originally. Okay, so it's kind of funky. After listening to it every night for the past six years, seven years, <laughs> I would say that's not Michael Jackson. <laughs> Wait, Ooh, sorry, reimagine Michael you, Jackson. Do you listen to Michael Jackson before you go to bed every night? Is that every night? Oh, that's every interesting. Night. It's like a lullaby to me. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see what else. There, I mean, there's some great stuff. Like, like uh, there's some big band kind of stylings. Yes, some jazzy ballad like slow jazz. And I don't remember the name of that song, unfortunately. Uh, uh, it's towards the end. Uh, I want to feel it all. I believe that. Yes, that is correct. And again, like, wait, how does that fit in with Breakthrough or yeah. or what? Right now, is that the first song? Like, that, that's okay. So again, I told you, colored my experience. That So leaving work, the first thing I hear is that first song. Right now. Right. And going, what the hell is Kyle thinking? <laughs> right 
He's just trying to piss me off now. Now I'm just <laughs> mad. There were a couple other albums I had in the running for this that I was like, I know these will just piss Matthew off. And this one, I, I specifically picked this album because I knew whether you ended up being like, I love this album or whether you were like, I fucking hate this album. We could at least have a good discussion about That's it because true. it is, you cannot deny that there's some artistry there. And I will. There's some talent there, whether it's applied in a, uh, the best way or whether it's, you know, it could be a very different sound. Right. And you, but, have to, you have to ask me how I feel about this record and it's going to be different every <laughs> single time. Uh, it's it's, awesome. it's going to be one of those records that, what do you think of Lamplit Pros? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> this shit. Shut well, what do you think up. about Lamplit Pros today? Oh, I love it. It's so wonderful. I'm like, I don't know what I'm thinking about it. <laughs> so I did, you know, I did plenty of show prep. I listened to it a bunch of times. And then uh, a few hours ago, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go up to my office. I'm going to listen to it one more time and do my show prep and, and make sure that I'm prepared for this. And I listen to it again and I'm just sitting in there going, all right, I hate it. <laughs> like I can't move. Like I can't get my arms around it. I, and, you know, you and I had the talk, you know, you know, you don't have to like everything. <laughs> like, trust me, I don't. Like if anybody knows me and has worked with me, or played softball, whatever. You know I don't like everything. In fact, I <laughs> dislike most things. So <laughs> so it's not that big of a stretch for me to go, I hate this room. <laughs> Sucks. But it doesn't suck. It's <sighs> I'm actually like, this to me is the happiest possible outcome for this. <laughs> like because like I said, I, I was excited when you were like, I really don't like this album. Just because it's like good, that's great, because it'll give us something to talk about. Cause we're not both just gonna be like, Yeah, it's okay. I like it. Yeah, it's not bad. I like it. But uh, I actually like this outcome even better because you don't know how you feel about it. That's I don't. so great. I don't. I don't know. I wrote it somewhere. I wrote it in my notes somewhere. That exact thing that it's just like, I, I don't know what I feel about it. <laughs> and then I went back and wrote later. I love it. So what the hell's going on? There it is. I love it. Right, in my notes. And then earlier, I don't get it in my notes. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess it's good then. It's good music if it makes me think yeah. about whatever. I do think we got to mention, because we've brought it up a couple of times, but we haven't really talked about Breakthrough, which I think is intended to be the hit, the, the, the radio play song on this album. It is a very, it's disjointed. It really is. It's very like, that's a good recreation of the sound. Thank you. I've been practicing for weeks over and over and over again. I I actually enjoy it, but it is very, it's very overbearing. It's very strong and it comes on really loud. And especially if you're listening with headphones, Mm -hmm. my God, it is just right in your ears. It's hard to. It's hard to like separate that yes. from the rest of the song. But it's so prevalent. It's I have like, actually heard that track on the radio. Really? It was, yeah, it was on uh, Alt Nation. Alt Nation, yeah. Yeah, that what a sense. surprise. It it has gotten some radio play at some point. Well, that's good. Maybe he's yeah. selling records. I hope so. But maybe you should maybe just write some songs, dude. Yeah. It's a business. It'll make it'll make you enough money to survive. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling at this point. 
he probably gets enough in residuals, you know, just from casual, you know, radio play and downloads and stuff. It's from streaming. That's true. He's probably not getting very much from streaming. Remember what we talked about? That's true. He's not getting very much from streaming. Two million. No. Yeah. Two million downloads equals 21,000 physical copies. (laughs) So I don't know what kind of numbers he's pulling in. Slight dust up there, you know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But he did... uh, he did say in that same Reddit, Ask Me Anything, David Longstreth said that this is his favorite album that he's produced so far. Any artist that doesn't say that about their most recent true. work should just quit. True. Also true. If you're not that proud enough to say that your most recent work is your best work, then you need to hang it up because why are you making music anymore? Yeah. Like if you're not getting better <laughs> and progressing and learning. My favorite album is still the first one that I made 20 years ago. Right. Well, why? What? Everything since then has been shit. Well, why didn't you just go like run the paint counter at Home Depot for mm. Christ's sake? There's no denying. There's no denying that he is uh, talented. Man. Very talented. Randy just said, uh, <laughs> just because you have a plug-in doesn't mean you need to use it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just yeah. because I have, you know, Red Giant Every red giant thing on <laughs> Premiere download, it doesn't mean I have to use every effect. I don't have to be George Lucas and do like, ooh, Venetian blind wipes. <laughs> well, we've got <laughs> we've got four organs in the studio, so I think we need to use all four. Yeah. You don't want to use the B for want to use B three for everything? No. no I want to use the roads and then the B three huh. and the worlds. I will say this. And then that Roland over there. There is one thing that uh, that we haven't really talked about in in you know this discussion where we both agree that it's a little over processed and a little overdone. Yes, when they play live, they do sound almost exactly the same as they do on the album, and they sound very good. They're, well, that's a trick. Yeah, that to me is the one. You know, there are differences, obviously, because there are some things that you just can't do live. Have you seen them? All? I have not seen them okay. live, but I have seen video recordings. Um, they did a. An NPR, uh, have you ever seen the Tiny Desk series? Yeah. yeah. They did a Tiny Desk concert. That's cool. And they were also on, um, it was either Conan O'Brien or um, one of the late night shows, I believe earlier this year, like really early, like January, February. Like Kimmel or something? Yeah. Um, I'll have to look that up and I'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, they they've they sound very, very good live and very very close to what's on the actual what's what was recorded for the album well and and obviously there's ways to you know do a lot of effects live and things like that but that you know not to throw a counterpoint in here at the end but obviously there's something that doesn't surprise me really with how much of a perfectionist he seems like in the studio he would want to portray that yeah same vibe live i would think he would probably go out of his way to make sure it sounds as close to the recorded output as, as it can. Yeah. And they are touring this too. They're touring this album. Uh, so, but it's not to all 27 people. No. Um, I have a feeling they probably, I haven't, obviously I haven't seen any of the, the tour footage cause yeah. it's not, I couldn't find it online anywhere. My assumption would be they probably have taken four or five of the tracks on here and just said, those are too much to do live. We're never going to do those. Which leaves you with five or six tracks. I have a list. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just can't do those ones live because of an effect or because you need an entire string section or whatever. String string section. That's hard to say. String section, Sonny. 
and just throw those ones out and then, you know, pick some older songs that they're also going to play on tour and say, instead of doing it with these four instruments, we're going to do those parts with one instrument, mm. or we're going to make this a more acoustic version of some song or, or whatever. Uh, and again, I haven't heard them, so I don't know. So if you have heard them, please, for the love of God, write to us and tell us whether they were good or not in real life. Yeah. Uh, info at audiojudo.com will get a hold of us. Hey, that's good. Facebook.com forward slash audiojudo. Twitter at audiojudo. Uh, where else can you get a hold of us? If you want, you can send a, a smoke pi- signal. You can send a smoke signal or a carrier a note, pigeon. Carrier pigeon. That's what I was trying to think of. Carrier pigeon. Pony Express. Ooh, that'd be cool. Right. That was a that was a spirited uh, it was a spirited debate. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I enjoy being conflicted about the, this kind of stuff. <laughs> it, I mean, like I said, you know, because it's interesting. It's it it's an interesting <laughs> record. He has a multitude of ideas. I feel like he needs some editing help, but I feel like he has more ideas than he can even get oh, out. Yeah. And so he's just like rushing to get them all out instead of being like, eh, maybe I should hold back a few of those <laughs> for next time. <laughs> so I enjoyed it and I hated it. <laughs> that's kind of where I land. And I, uh, I mostly enjoyed it. So, so that's that there couple, you go. Of, couple of things here. Uh, like to say, uh, and uh, rest in peace to Rick Ocasek of the Cars and also Eddie Money, uh, two legends that we lost recently. Yes. Um, that's going to that's gonna happen a lot more now. Yeah. As they, uh, Rick Ocasek was 75. I don't get that. I don't understand how that happened. Yeah, 75. But he was 70. 75. Wow. Yeah. I looked it up and I'm like, no way. That's nuts. That feels so young. <laughs> not to well, me it does it's rapidly approaching i guess let me let me rephrase that no eddie money was 70 oh that was that and rick Kasich was 75 so i i got two things i gotta say about that yeah so one of them is is more factual and one of them is kind of embarrassing uh well this sounds fast yeah the factual side of things when rick Kasich passed away i remember reading that same thing and being like that feels very young at first, because I was like, he was only 75. Only oh, my 75. God. You know, I know people that are living to 90 healthy now, you know, and a hundred's pretty close by here, yeah. if you're, you know, under the right health circumstances. And then I got thinking about it probably from the same perspective you're thinking of it and being like, well, wait a minute. If he was making music in the 80s, he would have been in his 40s. When the first couple of Cars records came out, that would have been 78, 79. Okay. So that's 40 years ago. Yeah. So, so he would have been 35. 35. So he was my age yeah. when he when the first Cars album. Yeah, it was a out. long slog before he got any sort of notoriety. Yeah. yeah. It took a while. Yeah. And it, and Eddie Money was but he was a cop before he was a musician <laughs> in New York. Yeah, and then moved to LA to become a musician. That's nuts. And he was 70. So but his hits you know, hits hit hits Two Tickets to Paradise. So yeah. That was 81, 82. That wow. was 38 years ago. So he was also 32, 33, hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's sad. Yeah. That's, and that's gonna, gonna keep happening. So now I got to tell you my embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Rick yeah, 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 story. Yeah, part two. So the first time I heard, obviously I had heard the cars before, but I was young enough that I had never associated them with a, a person. 
right? And the first time that I, I realized that the lead singer was Rick Ocasek, mm-hmm. and I'm pronouncing that very carefully because you'll hear why here in a minute, Okay, was actually because of a Canadian comedy band called Corky and the Juice Pigs. <laughs> Ray, producer Randy just lit up and knows exactly what I'm about to talk about. They were on Mad TV a few times uh-huh. in the early 90s, and they did a song called The Only Gay Eskimo, <laughs> and I'll throw that in the show notes as well. <laughs> Pending this makes it into the episode, I'll throw that in the show notes. Oh, it's making it. Part of their whole shtick was that they would do their songs in the styles of other musicians. So, like, they have a song called Remember, but it's R-E-M-ber, <clears throat> and they do it in the style of oh, R-E-M, and it's it's very funny, but... Uh, there's a part in the only gay Eskimo that they did on mad TV where they start singing like the pretenders and they do like a part where it's like the pretenders. And then the lead singer says like Rick Ocasek from the cars. And then they do it like the cars. When I heard that, I would swear up and down that his name was Rickle Kasich. Rickle, Rickle Kasich. So for years, Rickle people would be like, "Have you ever heard of the car?" Oh yeah, Rickle Kasich from the cars. What are you saying, Rickle? <laughs> and I said it. <laughs> I don't know how many times. Oh yeah, Rickle Kasich. Yeah, Rickle Kasich. Rickle Kasich. <laughs> and it did not. I when I figured this out four or five years ago, I felt like the stupidest person in the oh, history you mean, of mankind. You mean Rico? You mean Rico? <laughs> Rico. Kasich? Rico? Yes. Rico? Rickle? Rickle? Rico. Rico and Rickle? Rickle. 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 What kind of a name is Rickle? How did I not realize that? But for years, I would be like, oh, yeah, you know, Rickle Kasich from the cars. Rickle Kasich. But nobody ever called you on it. That's true. And I always because you had never met me yet. I think it's because I did it fast enough. You know, Rickle Kasich from the cars. Now, if you had met, if we had met and you had said that, I'd be like, what? Did you just call him Rickle? You know, Rickle, very common name. It's Rick. Rickle. Rick, just R-I-C, Rick. It's not even a K, it's just Rick. Rick. Real short. So that's... Uh, Terse. Rick. There you go. I'm very embarrassed by that still to this day. Don't be embarrassed. It's fine. It's fine. It's <laughs> the Rickle Kasich's family doesn't care at this point. So how do you, uh, how do you guys feel? Do you think that... Uh, his name should be legally changed to Rickle Kasich. It should be Rickle. I, Rickle I think Kasich. That, that's how we should refer to him from now on. Rickle Kasich. Rickle Kasich. Gonna, Let us know. I'm going to make a note of it. Rickle. I, I'm going to plug it one more time. Info at audiojudo.com. Please write to us. Let us know what you think of these episodes. Let us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Which is most of it. Because that's the only way we can get better. And then uh, next episode. Ooh. Uh, we're going to talk about, well, I have uh, a number of interviews in the works, uh, a couple of really good ones, but we're going to do another album next time. We're going to talk about Elvis Costello's record Spike oh, yeah. from 1989, and uh, hope you tune in for that one. Do some uh, do some research. Don't listen to any stuff with Elvis Costello and the attractions, because it'll just, it'll just mess with your head. <laughs> So Elvis Costello's spike next time. Thanks for listening. Uh, Write us. You know, you have all the info. He's given it to you several times. Reach out to us. Uh, Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what we should talk about. 
You know, everyone's got some great musical ideas out there. I know everybody's listening to music, whether you listen, whether you're a Swifty or you're listening to uh, country or rap or jazz or whatever. I don't care. Tell us what we should be talking about. Mongolian throat warbling. It's like a didgeridoo and an alpen horn solo. Uh, Tell us what we should be talking about, and we'll probably talk about it, because uh, what do we have better to do? Right. Not much. So uh, enjoy. Please. Uh, Everybody be safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon on Audio Judo. Uh, Take care, everybody. Take care. the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.